Nå er det tid for nordisk på trikk. Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. Welcome to this podcast, where we'll be traveling to various parts of the Nordic countries to hear stories of strange creatures and spirits that have haunted places with water, marshes, waterfalls, lakes, and the sea. But before we get started, I wanted to call out our listener survey on the website. It's right there on the NordicOnTap.com homepage. Just as soon as this episode finishes, navigate to the NordicOnTap.com website and click that blue button to share with me what you enjoy most about this program. You can also contact us at NordicOnTap at gmail.com or leave comments right there in the comment box after the show notes, links, and photos. And now you can click on the Buy Me a Coffee button to contribute a few dollars to the show to keep us going, which is much appreciated. So that said, I now want you to settle in, just like you're sitting next to a warm hearth. Maybe there's a fire going. You've had a good meal and you're ready to, hmm, you're ready to consider your life so far. Have you ever seen something out of the corner of your eye? Especially looking out over a still lake, maybe with a little fog, or, or you're looking out to sea and maybe you see something or, or you hear a splash, a lump or a dark thing that seems to be moving out in the lake, or something is wailing out among the scaries during a raging ocean storm, or maybe you see something out of the corner of your eye, but when you look straight at it, it's, it's not there. You've probably experienced this. What is that all about? We've all seen something weird and hard to explain. And even more sinister, you sometimes hear stories about people who just disappear without a trace. Fishermen who never come back. Young men and women who go missing, maybe while hiking in the mountains out in a lake, in a boat at sea, and you hear stories and tales about these places. These are the kinds of things that people the world over wonder about and worry about. And in the Nordic countries, these strange tales have their own special flavor to them. There are so many tales I've just chosen in this podcast to focus on those involving water. As I said, streams, waterfalls, marshes, and the ocean. Let's begin with the marshes in Denmark, of which there are many. The land in Denmark is nearly flat, and there's some rolling hills, but it's mostly low with lots of inlets and gulfs from the sea, and along the sea there's huge salt marshes. Inland the marshes or bogs are places where plants fall down and slowly decompose to form peat. Over the last many, many centuries, people have gone into those bogs to dig peat because it's used for cooking fires. These places are almost impossible to walk through. 
You may suddenly find yourself stepping into dark water, go over your head and get tangled in the branches of falling trees. And then there's the fog, what they call tog in Danish. It settles in the evening almost like it rises right out of the bog. The fog is brewed by the Musakuna, the bog woman, who is a witch somewhere out there, out in the bog, or maybe she's down inside the bog, underground, brewing something in a large black kettle. That's the origin of the expression Musakuna Brieger. The bog woman is brewing when the fog comes up. Hans Christian Andersen, the famous Danish storyteller, wrote about the Musakuna and the fate of a young girl named Inger. I'll tell you a shortened version of Pigen som trotte på bröde, the girl who stepped on the bread loaf. Once there was a girl named Inger, a poor child but proud and arrogant. Even as a little child, she found pleasure in catching flies, pulling off their wings to make creeping insects out of them, and she used to stick maybugs and beetles on a pin. And as she grew older, she became even worse instead of better. But because she was very pretty, that was probably her misfortune, because otherwise she would have been disciplined more than she was. You'll bring misfortune down upon you, said her own mother to her. As a little child, you often used to trample on my aprons, and when you're older, I'll fear you'll trample on my heart. And she did. When she was older, she was sent to the country to be in the service of people of distinction. They treated her as kindly as if she'd been their own child and dressed her so well that she looked extremely beautiful and became even more arrogant. When she had been in their service for about a year, her mistress said to her, You ought to go back and visit your parents, little Inger. So she went. She didn't want to go, but she only went because she wanted to show them how fine she had become. But then, as she approached her village, she saw her mother resting on a stone nearby with a bundle of firewood she had gathered in the forest. And Inger was ashamed that one dressed as smartly as she should have a mother, a poor mother, with ragged clothes. Another half year went by. You must go home some day and visit your old parents, little Inger, said her mistress. Here's a large loaf of white bread to take them. They'll be happy to see you again. So Inger put on her best dress and her fine new shoes and lifted her skirt high and walked very carefully so that her shoes would stay clean and neat. And for that, no one could blame her. But when she came to where the path crossed over marshy ground and there was a stretch of water and mud before her, she threw the bread into the mud, the bread loaf, so that she could use it as a stepping stone and get across with dry shoes. But just as she placed one foot on the bread and lifted the other up, the loaf sank deeper and deeper, carrying her down until she disappeared entirely. And nothing could be seen but a black, bubbling pool. But what became of her? 
Well, she sank down to the marsh woman, the bog woman, the musakuna, who brews down there. Nobody knows much about the bog woman, except that when the meadows begin to reek in the summer and the dense fog arises in the marshes, the old woman is brewing down there. Little Inger sank into this brewery, and no one could stand it there very long. A cesspool is a wonderful place compared with the marsh woman's brewery. Every vessel is reeking with horrible smells that would turn a human being faint. The marsh woman was at home, and she was being visited that day by the devil. She saw Inger, put on her spectacles, looked at her again, and said, You know, that girl has talent. Let me have her, she said to the devil, and she will make a suitable statue in my great-grandchild's antechamber. And so the devil gave her Inger. And thus, little Inger went to hell. People don't always go directly down there. They can go by a roundabout way when they have the necessary talent. Inger was tortured by standing like a statue. It was as if she were fastened to the ground by the loaf of bread. This is what comes of trying to have clean feet, she said to herself. Look at them stare at me. Yes, they all stared at her with evil passions glaring from their eyes. These were a bunch of people who were down there waiting in hell. And they spoke without a sound coming from their mouth. Boy, they were frightful to look at. It must be a pleasure to look at me, thought little Inger. I have a pretty face and nice clothes. But then she saw that her dress was covered with clots of nasty slime, and a snake had wound itself in her hair and dangled over her neck, and from every fold in her dress an ugly toad peeped out, barking like a dog. It was most disagreeable. Worst of all was the dreadful hunger she felt. Could she stoop down and break off a bit of the bread on which she was standing? No, she couldn't reach it. She was too stiff to move. And then the flies came and crept to and fro across her eyeballs. She blinked her eyes, but the flies did not fly away, for they could not. Their wings had been pulled off by somebody, and they had become creeping insects. If this keeps up much longer, I won't be able to stand it, she said. But she had to stand it. Her sufferings only increased. Then a hot tear fell upon her forehead. Who could be weeping for little Inger? Had she not a mother up there on the earth? Well, it was her mother who was weeping sorrowfully and said, Pride goes before a fall. It was your own ruin, Inger. How you have grieved your mother. Well, I wish I'd never been born, thought Inger. I would have been much better off. They ought to have brought me up better, Inger thought. They should have beaten the nonsense out of me if I had any. Her heart became harder and full of hatred for all mankind. But one day, when hunger and misery were gnawing at her hollow body, for she couldn't eat, she heard her name mentioned and her story told to an innocent little girl upon earth who burst into tears of pity for the haughty, clothes-loving Inger. But won't she ever come up again? the child asked. She will never come up again, they answered her. But if she would ask forgiveness and promise never to be bad again? But she will not ask for forgiveness, they said. 
Oh, how I wish she would, the little girl said in great distress. I'd give my dollhouse if she'd come up. It's so dreadful for poor Inger. These words reached right down into Inger's heart and seemed almost to make her good, for this was the first time anyone had said poor Inger and not added anything about her faults. An innocent little child had wept and prayed for her, and she was so touched by that she wanted to weep herself, but the tears would not come, and that was also a torture. Well, the years passed up there, but down below there was no change. So many years passed since that little girl had wept over poor Inger that the child herself had become an old woman and now was being called by the Lord himself. That is, she was dying. And at that last hour, when the thoughts and deeds of a lifetime pass in review, she remembered very clearly how as a tiny child she had wept over the sad story of Inger. That time and that sorrow were so intensely in the old woman's mind at the moment of death that she cried with all her heart. Inger was astonished. One of God's angels wept for her. Why was this granted to her? Well, Inger the tormented soul gathered into one thought all the deeds of its earthly life and trembled with tears, such tears as Inger had never wept before. Grief filled her whole being, and in that deepest humility she thought that for her the gates of mercy would never be opened. There came a brilliant ray that penetrated down into the abyss to her, and under this ray the petrified figure of Inger evaporated. And then a tiny bird arose and followed the zigzag path of the ray up to the world of mankind. But it seemed terrified and shy of all about it, as if ashamed and wishing to avoid all living creatures. It hastily concealed itself in a dark hole in a crumbling wall. There it sat, trembling all over, and could utter no sound, for it had no voice. The bird wanted to sing out the thoughts that filled its breast, but it could not. Gladly would it have sung like the nightingale or the cuckoo in the springtime. Well, now came the feast of Holy Christmas. Close by the wall, a farmer set up a pole and tied an unthreshed bundle of oats on it that the fowls of the air might also have a Merry Christmas and a joyous meal in this. Brightly the sun rose that Christmas morning and shone down upon the oats and all the chirping birds that gathered around the pole, and then from the wall there came a faint. The swelling thoughts had at last found a voice, and the tiny sound was a whole song of joy. As the bird flew forth from its hiding place in the realm of heaven, they knew well who this bird was. The winter was unusually severe that year. The ponds were frozen over thickly. The birds and wild creatures of the forest had very little food. The tiny little bird flew about the country roads, and whenever it chanced to find a few grains of corn fallen in the ruts made by the sleds, it would eat but a single grain itself, while calling the other hungry birds that they might have some food. And then it would fly into the towns and search closely, and whenever kindly hands had strewed breadcrumbs outside the windows for the birds, it would eat only a single crumb and give all the rest away. 
By the end of the winter, the bird had found and given away so many crumbs of bread that they would have equaled in weight the loaf upon which little Inger had stepped to keep her fine shoes from being soiled. And when it had found and given away the last crumb, the gray wings of the bird suddenly became white and expanded. Look, there flies a sea swallow over the sea, the children said as they saw the white bird. And now it seemed to dip into the water, and now it rose into the bright sunshine. It gleamed in the air. It was not possible to see what became of it. They said that it flew straight into the sun. Now, the bog woman, the Musakona, is often talked about together with Lichtemann in Denmark, the lantern men, who are really kind of little nasty men. They're hard to see. Some say they are the undead. They are seen as little lights out in the marshes, but you don't want to follow them. You'll never be seen again. Don't even look at those lights or you'll get the urge to follow them. You see those lichtemen, especially when there's the Mosekona brewing fog, those lichtemen try to lure people out where they step into the wrong place in the bog and drown. Lantern men are able to split themselves, you know, and become several. And you can protect yourself from lantern men by turning your clothes inside out. And you must avoid pointing at a lantern man, as this will draw him towards you. The lantern men, sometimes called will-o'-the-wisps, are also known in other places, such as Ireland, where some say they are lost souls or spirits out in the fog. In Finland, they are called the Lempu, and are most commonly seen over lakes in Midsommar. These evil spirits are the reason why people disappear or are found dead floating in the marshes. So let's walk out of the marshes of Denmark and travel north along the coast of Norway. And we can do as Theodore Kittelsen did, a famous illustrator of folklore books and author of Troll Magic, as it's called in English, which I highly recommend. Kittelsen spent two years with his sister and brother-in-law way, way out on a remote island called Skumvar, which has a lighthouse. Those were the days when lighthouses had to be tended by people. They weren't automatic lights, but lanterns had to be lit up at the top and refueled, especially on stormy nights when ships needed to see the light to avoid crashing on the island's rocks. Kittelsen must have seen a lot of strange things out there, judging by his illustrations in the book Troll Magic. You know, there are some tales from Helgeland, which is a bit to the south along the coast. They believed a serpent monster lived on the bottom of the ocean. Now, the serpent monster, or monsters, would surface and take boats and people and fish down into the depths with them. The thing is, when they surfaced, they would first rise and slowly rise, and then they would shoot up and collapse the water like a breaker, which swamped the boat. And there was this fisherman named Johansen, out in his boat fishing with a hand line. 
he had a road to a place where he knew there were a lot of fish, and he hardly got the bait on his hook before he caught one. But after sitting there for a while, he noticed that the water was becoming more and more shallow. It seemed like he could see the bottom, and it was getting closer and closer, and he thought that was strange. He looked towards land to see whether he had drifted and lost his bearings, but no, his position was exactly what it should be. He must be Gamla Eirik himself, he said, referring to the devil, and so he hurriedly pulled up his line and rowed away as fast as he could, and just in time, too, as soon as he got away from that spot, the waves crashed around it as if it were stormy right there in that part of the ocean. You see, it was the sea serpent. And the thing is, there are always a lot of fish swimming around just above a sea serpent, so you think it's good a good fishing spot. But if a fisherman does not get away before the monster breaks through the surface of the water, he is doomed. That is why fishermen sometimes go out fishing and never come back. The sea serpent, or sure, orm, explain how fishermen drown when a big wave crashes over their boat. But the spirits of dead fishermen, perhaps even the ones taken by the sea serpent, or rather the undead, might haunt you in the form of a draug. Just as there are dead spirits of the sea, there are also spirits on land, those who inhabit the graves of people buried in the church cemetery. In the year 1837, it happened on the island of Lurai that the servants at a farm were carousing on Christmas after they had eaten supper. They ran out of spirits, which <laughs> in this story means alcohol, like glug, but no one wanted to go down to the boathouse to fetch more. Well, the farm boy got up enough nerve and set out with a jug in one hand and a lantern in the other, and he got down to the boathouse safely unlocked the door, filled the jug, but when he shut the door behind him and was going to go back across the bridge from the boathouse, because the boathouse was on this little island, a man without a head was sitting there blocking the way. He was dressed in a heavy fisherman's coat and big fishing boots, but where the head and the fisherman's hat should be, there was just a dark hole. And the boy knew right away that it was a draug. When he saw that he could not get by, he swung at it with the jug, hit it, and the draug tumbled off, down off the bridge with a shriek. So the boy ran up the path from the sea, but all at once he heard a strange commotion behind him, as if many large fishermen were following him in their big boots. And when he looked over his shoulder, he saw a tremendous number of draugr coming up from the shore. The graveyard next to the church lay right in his way, and the flock of draugr would catch up with him if he ran around it. So he hopped over the graveyard fence, sprang across the graves, and cried, Up! Up every Christian soul and save me! At the same moment, the clock struck twelve midnight and the earth shook under the boy's feet. When he was well over the fence, on the other side he looked back again, and the draugr were right behind him, in hot pursuit like a flock of sheep, coming in over the graveyard. But there 
they were met by a great host of dead souls who wanted to help the boy and stop the unholy draugs from coming onto consecrated ground. You see, only faithful Christian folk got to be buried in the churchyard. While it was a bitter struggle, the land spirits used boards from coffins while the sea draugr had seaweed and kelp for weapons. But the boy dared not look on. Pale and half out of his wits, he ran into the servants' quarters, put down the jug of wine, dashed up to the attic, and went to bed with the covers over his head. Now on Christmas morning, the day after, he came to his senses and he told what he had experienced during the night. The other servants doubted it a little, but when they came down to the church with the rest of the congregation, they saw for themselves over the whole churchyard were strewn boards from coffins, seaweed, kelp, and jellyfish, and, and everyone could tell that the land spirits had battled the sea draugs. Ugh, the sea draugs. Theodore Kittelson drew them in troll magic, along with a sea troll, and their shrieking is like the sound of the wind during a storm. Now, a different kind of creature is found on the land where streams and rivers fall from a height, forming a waterfall. If you stand and listen to the rushing, crashing water, it seems like you can almost hear fiddle music being played. You know what I mean? Of course... What you're hearing is the Fossegrim, the sprite of the waterfall. In Sweden, he might be called Strömkarlen, or the stream man. It's a man who sits on the rocks under the falls, playing a fiddle constantly. The sounds of the forest and streams and falls seem to come from his violin, and some say, some say, he only inhabits streams that flow northwards. The Fossegrim is described as a young man under or inside the falls, and while some tales say his music is merely enchanting, others say it's more sinister in that it lures you in where you drowned. Well, generally speaking, the wild, beautiful music is harmless. And in fact, the Fossegrim might agree to teach you to play the fiddle especially a hardanger fiddle, if you leave him a gift of fenelor, dried leg of lamb, which you must steal from your neighbor four Thursdays in a row and leave it for the Fossegrim. But be sure you give him good legs of lamb, for he might say to you, Excalere thy leichen stille, men inche po den slow, which means something like, I shall teach you to play silence, not to play music on that fiddle, for you gave me a leg that had no meat on it. So you better give him good legs of lamb. Now, if you learn to fiddle with the Fossegrim, your music has no parallel. It's It's fantastic. Some of the greatest fiddlers from Scandinavia are thought to have learned from the Fossegrim, like Ole Bull, for example. That's why there's a statue of Ole Bull playing his fiddle atop a pile of rocks in Bergen, with a statue of the Fossegrim playing in the waterfall below him. 
Now, many years ago, there lived a boy by the name of Paul, and he was working at the mountain farm there herding cattle, and he very much wanted to learn to play the fiddle. He walked around all day sawing on his little ragged instrument. Then, one evening, he sat playing close to a waterfall, and suddenly he heard beautiful sounds coming from the waterfall. At first he was frightened, but then it sounded so very beautiful that he forgot his fear, took his little ragged fiddle, and began playing. When he had been sitting and playing for a little while, a little man appeared to him and said, If you will promise one thing, Paul, I'll teach you to play so well that you will be the best fiddler in the whole village. And Paul asked him what that might be. Oh, nothing more, said the Grim, for that is who he was, than that you stop shouting and playing so poorly in the meadows at night. Well, Paul promised, and then he really learned to play. Once he was playing at a dance on a farm, and later that night all the folks became so crazy from his playing that each and every one of them, young and old, had to get up and dance, whether they wanted to or not. And in the end, even the furniture in the house began to dance, the cups and the teaspoons too. There was no end to the dancing until they took Paul's fiddle away and locked it up for the next day. If they had not done this, they would have all danced themselves to death. Yes, that music he learned from the Fusagrim was impossible to ignore. Well, if you're not near a waterfall or out at the sea, you might find yourself near a lake. Nearby, maybe a little ways away, you might see a white horse. You hear about these animals in several Nordic countries, but I'm thinking of the stories of the horse told in Iceland and the Faroe Islands. In Iceland and the Faroes, this horse creature, sometimes called a water horse, is called Nikur or Nenir, where elsewhere it's called a Nuk or sometimes a Bekehest, a brook horse in Sweden. He looks just like a horse, Sometimes white, often gray, occasionally black. But if you get up close, you'll see that the hooves are turned backwards. And the hair just above the hooves points backwards too. However, this horse is no way limited to this form. It is characteristic of him to change suddenly into various shapes, just as he chooses in winter when cracks appear in the ice and cause loud booming noises, you know what I mean, if you've heard it, that is the nikur, neighing. Now the nikur lives down in the bottom of lakes and streams, and it's characteristic of all of these horses, and horses descended from a nikur, that they like to lie down whenever they are ridden or led through water that reaches up to their bellies. A nikur will often appear on land near rivers or lakes that are difficult to cross, and he seems quiet enough at times and tempts people to ride on him. Sometimes he encounters people while in human form, as a handsome young man, to lure young women to himself, 
and he promises them joy and gladness back where he lives if they want to go along with him and ride on him. But as soon as they are on his back, he rushes wildly into the water, lies down flat in it, and drags his rider down too. They also say you should never touch his tail when he's in horse form, or you'll get stuck fast to him, and he releases no one. He drags them down to the bottom of the lake. So the story goes that one evening there were some children out near Ulfarsa in Iceland who had gone down to Longvotten to play. A nikur appeared in the shape of a large horse, and the children wanted to climb on its back, and they did. The horse let them all on, all except for the smallest boy who couldn't climb on. But the horse started galloping down towards the lake, and the little boy became frightened and called to his brother Niklas, who was on the horse, saying, Nika, Nika! You see, the boy was so little that he couldn't speak properly. And a good thing, too, for the Nikur thought its own name was being called. Nikur, Nikur! And he disappeared, and the children found themselves on the ground and were saved. You see, it's said that when the Nikur hears its name, it loses all its power. So those are some creatures, the Mosekona, the Liktaman, the Shur, Orm, Draug, Fusegrim, and the Nikur. I used a variety of sources for this podcast, many of which you can look up or purchase storybooks of them fairly cheaply. Many of the same Nordic tales are found in all of the books. And I'm going to list these books quickly, but never fear. They'll be on the episode's notes uh, on the website and links at nordicontap.com if you don't quite catch them. Scandinavian Folk Belief and Legend by Raymond Kvideland and my old professor, Henning Simsdorf, is sort of the ring that rules them all. What they've done is collected the bones of Nordic tales found across several books in Lindau's Swedish Legends and Folk Tales, in Svent Grundvig's Danish Folk Tales, Reda Christiansen's Folk Tales of Norway, and Icelandic Folk Tales and Legends by Jacqueline Simpson. Theodore Kittelsen's Troll Magic is fairly recently made available in English, but, you know, between the illustrations and Kittelson's own stories uh, he tells with the illustrations, it's, it's pretty magic. Thanks to B. Hulder, as that person calls themselves, on deviantart.com for the Fossegrim information, and thanks to Jean Herschel for her translation of Hans Christian Andersen's The Girl Who Stepped on a Bread Loaf. And while I specifically didn't search in the gaming websites online, many of these Nordic creatures are well known to the Dungeons and Dragons community, and they've adopted them and added their own folklore about them. Special thanks also goes to Rachel Nesvig, who let me use some of her fantastic Hardanger fiddle music. You can hear the whole concert, from which I picked some selections. The concert was for the 17th of May in 2021, so if you Google her name and 17th of May 2021, that video should come up. Her website, and now I'll spell her name, is... Rachel Nesvig, R-A-C-H-E-L, continuing, N-E-S-V-I-G dot com.
We also did a podcast where we interviewed Rachel and learned more about the making and the playing of this very Norwegian instrument, the Hardanger fiddle. Check it out. It's worth your time. Don't forget to check out the show notes for more information and extras from this episode. Depending on what app you're using to listen to the podcast, you should be able to find the show notes by looking for a button or a link labeled show notes or episode notes. And if you're using Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, you can simply scroll down while listening to an episode and the show notes should be there. For other apps like Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Podbean, you may need to tap a button or a link to access the notes. And if you're having trouble finding the show notes, don't hesitate to reach out via our website or, or write to me at nordicontap.com or leave a message on our Facebook page and we'll be happy to help you out. And if you appreciate and want to support the show, click that Buy Me a Coffee button to help us out. Of course, Nordic on Tap will continue to be and will always be free to listen to. For some good Nordic music to brighten your day, I recommend getting online with the ScandinavianHour.org. 6 a.m. Saturdays and Sundays, and again at 9 a.m. on Saturdays, streaming to you on Pacific Time. And as you may know, streaming programs are delivered to you live, as it were, so you, you don't want to miss it. As soon as the show's over, you can't go back and hear it again. My friend Seth Tufteland at the Scandinavian Hour spins a huge variety of songs, mostly in some Nordic language, occasionally English or other, from jazz to pop to dance songs, fiddle tunes, choral numbers, marching band music, it's all there. Our intro music is Inglis Waltz, played by composer Morten Alfred Heurup at mortenalfred.com, and Ruthie Dornfeld, they both have websites, as does the composer and performer of our outgoing music, Daryl Jackson. He's at Daryl Jackson Music, all one word, dot com. Thanks for sitting at the hearth with me for these Nordic stories about creatures in the water. So you can rest easy knowing that those things you see fleetingly at the edge of your vision and then they seem to disappear, they are in fact real. I'm Eric Stavney, and we say us next gong, Paul Nordic on tap. Hade. Mm-hmm.